This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, farming, gardening, and food. And I'd like to welcome back to Digging in the Dirt this afternoon, Jeff Masters of the Yale Climate Connection. He's been here before. He's worked on as a hurricane scientist with NOAA Hurricane Hunters from 86 to 90. He has a Ph.D. in air pollution meteorology from the University of Michigan. And in 1995, he co-founded the Weather Underground Weather Channel. He also was creator of the Category 6 blog, one of the Internet's most popular and widely quoted sources of extreme weather and climate change. What with all this worrisome heat and rain, I thought it would be a good time to check back in with Jeff. Welcome, Mr. Masters. Hey there, Kevin. How's it going? It's going pretty good. So, like I said, a little bit worried about the weather, and I read that now you're blending meteorology with climatology. So why is all this happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, weather is naturally extreme, and you also have to understand the long-term changes. Climatology is the change of weather patterns on a scale of 30 years or more, and we've got a general warming of the atmosphere going on right now that's been uh, at least over 30 years now due to human-caused climate change. So the craziness that you see now is due to the combination of factors of the naturally extreme weather and the changing climate. It's a little bit disconcerting to me. I mean, been on this beat and like you have for quite a long time and, and understanding that this is a slow progression towards where we are now. Are we clearly seeing these extraordinary weather events due to the to the climate getting a lot warmer? Yeah, I mean, we've looked at some of these new uh, events coming coming out. And there's a group in Europe called the World Weather Attribution Group which uses climate models to study particularly extreme events to see if they would have occurred or not with or without climate change. And in a lot of cases, they're finding that, yes, you know, the event that we're seeing would not have been as extreme as it was without human-caused climate change. In some cases, they say, well, you know, maybe we can't see an effect yet. But more often than not, certainly when the heat waves that they study are published, they're finding a, a human-caused impact. Mm-hmm. So explain to me why we see in some areas I mean, incredible heat and drought, and then in other areas we're getting all this flooding. Is this what they're calling atmospheric rivers? I mean, this is pretty extraordinary that, you know, all of a sudden these rain downfalls seem to be really, really heavy, and we're getting floods from them. We have to understand in a warmer atmosphere, which climate change has brought to us, when you happen to get high pressure and clear skies, you're going to get heat waves that are more intense and droughts as a consequence. But when you happen to have a disturbance in the atmosphere that's bringing you rain, it's also going to be the case that a warmer climate will bring you more rain. That's because the atmosphere can hold more water vapor the warmer it is. And you get more evaporation off the oceans, which means there's more water vapor present to power storms. So seeing both extremes simultaneously is what is expected with climate change. But what's really been kind of uh, blowing our minds is the intensity and then the long duration of these sorts of events. And the jet stream has gotten a little bit crazy, which is really not something we expected to see so much with climate change. And the jet stream is the 
atmospheric ribbon of winds that tends to control our weather patterns. And when it gets in a extreme configuration and stays locked in place for a long period of time, you get a long period of extremes, depending on where you are on which side of the jet stream, either heavy rains like we're seeing in some areas or right next to them extreme heat waves so it's this combination of more heat in the atmosphere causing more extremes combined with a change in atmospheric circulation which we think is also due to climate change the combination of those two impacts is what's causing all the extreme weather Mm -hmm. so you say we think but i mean pretty much i think you know but we we've never been here before right so that's why you couch things because we don't know exactly what's happening and how fast it's beginning to happen is that right one of our big limitations in being able to be more definitive about what we're saying scientifically is going on is we don't have much history i mean you look at scales of 30 years where you define climate and the climate's changing so rapidly right now that if you only use the if you go back and use 30 years of data you're already out of date because the climate's changing so rapidly that a 30-year average is not going to tell you much anymore you really got to use about the last 10 years of data because the extremes are happening so quickly now but that's not a very good solution because like I was saying earlier, the weather's naturally extreme. So if you get natural ups and downs with a period of a few years or 10 years or so on, how are you going to differentiate from the climate, which is also changing? So very difficult problem because natural variability is so strong and we're having a tough time separating it out from what the human-caused climate change is happening to. Mm-hmm. So let me get this straight is the the water the ocean waters are so warm they're putting more moisture into the air how does so much moisture stay up there and then when it gets over here over let's say vermont like vermont just got bombed um and then all of a sudden it dumps it all at once can you explain a little better to me (laughs) i'm trying to figure out why this is happening yeah the jet stream pattern that i was talking about before has been blocked by what we call uh, there's blocking high pressure systems in the case of this uh, vermont flooding we saw or in case of the canadian wildfires that happened this year both of those weather events occurred because the jet stream got stuck in place mm-hmm. normally the jet progresses from west to east fairly quickly and you, you get low pressure systems that move through and move on and, if, and the next day you've got you know high pressure but the jet stream has been stuck in place. And when that happens, that means you get a continuous period of rainfall in some cases where you just get hammered day after day with the same weather pattern. And we do think that climate change can cause an increase in this behavior. To some degree, it can happen naturally too. So both the things are happening. And every now and then you get unlucky where you get a superposition of the, the two effects where you get an unprecedented rainfall event because the, the atmosphere is stuck in place. Mm-hmm. And the and the soil down below, uh, where in these on the hillsides around all these towns, can't absorb uh, that much water or even much of it, and it all runs down into the streams, then into the rivers, and then into the towns. Is that that's the case, right? Yeah. If your soils are already saturated, then they're not going to be able to absorb any rain. So you're going to have a much more intense flooding event. I mean, heavy rainfall doesn't necessarily cause an intense flood. It really depends on 
where those heavy rains fall and what time of year and if the soils are already saturated. And in the case of the Vermont floods, we had all those things happening all at once. Not a good equation. Uh, so are we in a new, as Michael Mann says, abnormal time? <laughs> it's certainly not anything normal. Yeah, you hear people ask, is this the new normal? And I always reply, it's not the new normal because the normal, a new normal implies things have stabilized and things have not stabilized. Mm-hmm. We're already at 421 parts per million of CO2, and we're adding another about two parts per million per year. And as long as that number continues to go up, the climate is going to continue to change. And we're not going to be anywhere near to normal until uh, a new normal until we get to net zero. We stop putting more CO2 in the air. Then things will start to stabilize. But that is uh, still a long ways off. And unfortunately, you ain't seen nothing yet. You're not optimistic. (laughs) No, I mean, the climate is going to continue to change rapidly outside the bounds of our experience. And that's going to overwhelm a lot of our both natural and human built systems that were designed for a different climate. Mm -hmm. So uh, is there a chance we can go back to where we were or is it always going to be a little different than what it was? We'll never go back to where we were because for one thing, okay, say, say we do manage to get to net zero and then we come up with some scheme to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, and then we reduce uh, the atmosphere to its pre-industrial levels of carbon dioxide, 280 parts per million or so. Okay, the plant will start to cool down then, back to the level we saw then. But we've changed the surface of the Earth so much in that interim. I mean, the ice sheets are melting pretty rapidly right now in Greenland and West Antarctica, uh, exposing uh, new ground to the air, so that means we're changing the reflectivity of the planet. And also at the same time, humans are altering the surface of the planet uh, by deforestation, by clearing land for farming. So you're doing all these massive changes to the surface of the earth where you're not gonna be back to where we were because there is no going back. Right, so we can't really expect the oceans to cool back down, at least to where they were. Is this gonna be, again, like the new abnormal that is, they're always gonna be warmer and therefore the next question is, is that gonna produce some huge hurricanes for us too? I mean, eventually the oceans will cool down. I mean, if we cut our carbon dioxide to net zero and then we actually start pulling carbon dioxide out of the air, sure. Everything will cool. But the ocean has a very long time scale. I mean, we're talking centuries to uh, store heat. And it'll be millennia probably before we get back to maybe where we were, uh, you know. Well, right now, I mean, (laughs) we're going to consider this year one of the coolest years of our lives uh, going forward because it is going to continue to warm. So, yeah. We're going to see a lot more intense hurricanes in the future, and uh, you won't see nothing yet, like I was saying. Yeah, bigger than, like, say, a Hurricane 5, we might see Category 6 or 7 kind of hurricanes, like that vicious? We've already seen what I would call Category 6 hurricanes, a few of them anyway. I would define Hurricane Dorian a few years ago that hit the Bahamas as that sort of hurricane. If you you know extend the Saffir-Simpson scale, about every 25 miles per hour is is a new level. 
then yeah, you you could say we've had a few, just a handful. There haven't been very many so-called Category Six hurricanes, but they are going to become more common. And one of the best models we have for uh, predicting future hurricanes, it's called the high floor model, forecasted that there would be a global factor of eight increase in these so-called Category Six hurricanes by the end of the century. And what kind of winds does that pack? At least 180 miles per hour, 185 Whoa. miles per hour. So equivalent to like an EF3 or EF4 tornado. Wow. So uh, we're talking to Jeff Masters of the Yale Climate Connection. As you can tell, he's quite versed on this subject matter. And, I, you know, the, I want to talk not only about the flooding that comes from the heavy rains, but the flooding that is likely due to, as we were just talking about, the melting of the ice. I mean, how that ice has been, ice has been around for millennia, right? I mean, it's been around for a long time. And now a lot of it's melting and we could keep going at this rate, especially like glaciers and it all goes into the ocean. So I would assume that that means we're going to have a lot of coastal flooding. Yeah. The ice that is land-based over Greenland and Antarctica, when it melts, will make the sea levels rise. Eight, because of sea level rise, overvaluation of properties on the order of several hundred billion dollars now in a lot of coastal areas along the U.S. So homeowners should be aware of that, and maybe when they want to figure out what they're going to do. It looks like there's going to be some serious migration or at least adaptation. Yeah, there has to be. There's so much going on with extreme weather pushing outside the boundaries that our infrastructure is designed for, not just only due to flooding and sea level rise near the coast, but also due to wildfires in California, for instance, where a lot of insurers have pulled out, and you can't even buy home insurance for a new home from some companies, and also from extreme heat. I mean, people living in Phoenix this year, how many days of 110 degrees in a row have they had? I don't know. About I've 25. Lost it's over 20. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's way up there. And if you don't have air conditioning, you basically are in serious trouble there. And a recent paper published showed that were there to be a mass power failure in Phoenix on the order of several days during this heat wave, it would kill thousands and send tens of thousands to the emergency room. So I think there's going to be a pullback from some of these extreme heat areas, and not just due to the extreme heat, also due to drought and water availability. In Arizona in particular, uh, they don't have much water because the Colorado River has been overburdened and they haven't gotten the precipitation to replace what they're taking out. They're not managing it very smartly. So uh, water availability, extreme heat, wildfires, sea level rise, extreme flooding, all of these things are going to dramatically change where people are going to be able to live and want to live in the coming years and cause a mass migration, like you were saying. Right. So, I mean, I'm also concerned about how do we get... The powers that be, I, I consider that our politicians and our corporate leaders, too. I mean, they just waltzing along here, you know, making their profits, making their products. And everything. But I, I think this is all going to change as people become burdened by this problem of water and less money because their insurance. I, I, I've had a report that somebody's insurance went from $2,000 a year to $13,000 a year in one swoop. And then there's also you've got retirees who have taken all their money, bought a place down in um, Fort Myers, for instance, which just got wiped out by a hurricane, and they're completely cleaned out. They can't rebuild. They don't 
have the money. They put it all into what they had on the coast. And as this happens, this is going to cause bigger and bigger problems. How do we get our politicians and our and our you know the leaders who have all the money to to address this problem? It's a big problem because the richest and most powerful corporations in world history, the fossil fuel companies, are actively resisting and denying that this is a problem and putting a lot of money into lobbying and electing leaders that aren't going to do anything about it. So big problem, and we need uh, more extreme weather events. Will that do it? I don't think so. There have already been so many extreme weather events that should have gotten our attention. It should have made leaders say, hey, we better do something about this. And it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I'm a little pessimistic that uh, they are going to sit up and pay attention. But mm-hmm. something has to has to break. I mean, the uh, insurance industry is sure caught on that uh, something's going on here. And uh, yeah, they're bailing if we get enough people who, right, who can't insure their homes anymore, I mean, maybe that'll finally be the straw that makes things break. Mm-hmm. You know, Kim Stanley Robinson in his book, The Ministry of the Future, he's been on this program. He, he starts his book with a, a, a mass death uh, in uh, India, I believe it, two, about a quarter million people die over a period of a week. He, and that's what precipitated action from the planet. And you, you just mentioned something like that. You know, maybe we'll take a mass event like that that shocks the hell out of everybody and we actually start demanding that we do something about this. It worked when the ozone hole happened over in Antarctica. That was such a shocking event that the leaders of the world got together and said, hey, you know, this is a crisis. This is a planetary emergency. We better get our butts in gear and do something about it. And the leaders of the world actually got together and hammered out an agreement, the Kyoto Agreement, which took care of the problem over the long term. So there is that historical precedent that we can get our act together and do the right thing. So that is uh, one thing that does give me hope. Good, good. Well, um, let's address the person listening right now who's maybe a homeowner. There, what, what, I know you have tools you can recommend. There's things about checking out how flooding will affect them. And, and also you have some book recommendations. Can you just give us, a to wind it up here, uh, a few tools that we may be able to use to uh, help ourselves and then also um, get out and put pressure on our politicians and leaders to do something about this? Yeah, if you go to YaleClimateConnections.org, I have a post I put up uh, last week, 30 Great Tools to Estimate Your U.S. Flood Risk. And there are a number of things that we have now that we didn't have just a few years ago that can estimate flood risk. Uh, The one I like is called RiskFactor.com, and they'll estimate on a scale of 1 to 10 your risk for flooding, for wildfires, for wind and for extreme heat. So a very simple, you know, estimation of what your risk is. So if you're thinking of buying a home somewhere, that would be a good place to to start. And there are some real estate firms like uh, redfin.com and zillow.com that are using these services to tell you your risk. But I have to add that these are a bit of black boxes too. I mean, these are private companies out there to make a profit and they're not going to share the, their proprietary methods for coming up with these numbers. So are those numbers right? I mean, they're better than nothing, but uh, in a lot of cases, they probably have problems. And in fact, uh, one place I went to uh, earlier this year, uh, I looked at the the score from riskfactor.com, and it said, you know, hey, you get 114 days of high tide flooding per year in this property. 
And I, <laughs> and I looked at the owner and I'm like, it's high tide. It's not flooding. And he's like, no, it doesn't high tide flood here. So you got to use these things with a grain of salt. They're not perfect, but they're better than what we've seen in the past. Anything you recommend people read? I know there's lots of books out there now coming out. So is there something that particularly strikes you as a, a good one? The best one I've read is called The Great Displacement by Jake Biddle. He's a writer at Grist, and he's talking about the mass migration of people away from uh, the coast and from wildfire areas in the U.S. that's going to have to happen because of climate change. And, in fact, is already happening. Well, thank you so much, meteorologist Jeff Masters, for coming on and explaining it all to us. I mean, it's, um, it's definitely concerning, and we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll have you back again. <laughs> thank you for coming today. Okay. Always happy to talk, Kevin. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, no problem at all. It's really, really illuminating. Thank you very much. Okay. So long. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. 